Hello and welcome once again to the Perimeter Church Podcast. There's a common adage that says, always go to the funeral. You never know what the simple act of showing up can mean. Executive Director of Family Transformation, Jimmy Kim, continues the series Counterculture with this sermon entitled, Blessed Are Those Who Mourn, which covers Matthew chapter 5, verses 1 to 12. For more information and to watch or hear other sermons, please visit our website at perimeter.org. Thank you for joining us today. Uh, We're in a series called Counterculture, where we are studying the Beatitudes, right? Matthew chapter 5 in the first half of that chapter. And um, just a a couple of quick summary points. If you didn't watch Caleb's sermon last week, make sure you go back to that and revisit it as he sets up the Beatitudes so well. But just a couple of thoughts that I had, I think, will really serve this particular message as well. And one of the things that he had mentioned that these Beatitudes, uh, when it says blessed are, the, 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 the tone and the, uh, the substance behind that word blessed are is really a word that we would use for peace or shalom that is flourishing. Flourishing are those who have X, Y, Z. And God will provide for those who are in that state. And the wrong perception, he said this, the wrong perception of flourishing actually leads us to see and hold success as an idol. And we're going to talk a little bit about that today, because we have to really consider what do we mean when we say the word flourishing, or even when you seek flourishing in your own life, in the the people around you, in your family. And the other thing is this, that Jesus is in the business of ushering in or inaugurating this new kingdom. Right, this new kingdom of flourishing. And it challenges our understanding of what flourishing even means because what you see in the Beatitudes, you might not necessarily equate those words to this act or to this thought of flourishing. Until this new kingdom is fully arrived, we patiently wait in spite of poverty, in spite of mourning, in spite of being forgotten and overlooked. Jesus is inaugurating such a kingdom people who are experiencing such things, and yet, what does he call them? People who are flourishing. So with that, can we turn to Matthew chapter 5? You can read along on the screens. I will read for us. The word of the Lord says this. Seeing the crowds, he went up on the mountain, and when he sat down, his disciples came to him, and he opened his mouth and taught them, saying, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who mourn, for they shall be comforted. Blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they shall be satisfied. Blessed are the merciful, for they shall receive mercy. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called sons of God. Blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness' sake, for theirs is the kingdom of God, of heaven. Blessed are you when others revile you and persecute you and utter all kinds of evil against you falsely on my account. Rejoice and be glad, for your reward is great in heaven. For so they persecuted the prophets who were before you. The word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. There was a commercial that I remember watching ad nauseum uh, when I was in college. Um, And you might remember it too, right? And when I was in college, I usually left the, the, the TV on. Uh, because it made me forget the crippling reality that I was constantly alone. Right? So, you know, when you're early in the morning, there's nothing hits home as much as that fourth re-airing of SportsCenter. 
Uh, and if you're laughing, it's because you know exactly what I mean, right? It's, it's not really there because you need to learn something new that happened. It's just there to fill up space in the background. There was a commercial, and the product, I don't know if you remember this, was called Head On. And it had a very simple and catchy tagline. Head on. Apply directly to the forehead. Head on. Apply directly to the forehead. Head on. Apply directly to the forehead. And that's all the commercial was. It was that very line. And then you see a person taking this product and applying head on, which is the name of the product, by the way, ingenious, and the instructions of said product apply directly to the forehead. I hated that commercial, but I remember it. But I do remember also thinking this. Man, if this thing really works, and I never went to go spend my precious $5 to go get this product. I was a poor college student. If such a thing worked, how incredible. And why and when are they going to create a product that will you know, be called muscle on or joint on you know, or help me to remember everything that I've studied on, right? And if we're really, really honest, when we're experiencing grief and sadness, how many of us have even wanted something that we could apply directly to our own hearts and say, oh, that you would just take away this grief? You probably weren't thinking this morning when you woke up, as you were maybe thinking about the Super Bowl Maybe thinking about Valentine's Day tomorrow. And if you're like, you're really accomplished as a host or a hostess, you probably are mashing those two things together in one super event, extravaganza. You probably weren't thinking you're going to come to church and listen to a message about mourning and death. But that's what we're going to do. And we're going to dive into it. Because church, we need to wrestle with these hard, hard things. Jesus does. And so we will as well. The first point today is that there is a reality of mourning. A reality of mourning. Our verse that we're really honing in on today is verse 4. Blessed are those who mourn, for they shall be comforted. Blessed are those who mourn, for they shall be comforted. I want us to consider the reality that the human experience is filled with grief, sorrow, and mourning. It is, an, it is an inevitable human experience. So what is mourning exactly? The way that the Greek word is used here, often translated to grieve, it has a, the connotation of feeling grief of, or of acting out grief to feel deeply sorrowful. The numerous times that it's found in the New Testament is often translated that way, mourning and deep sorrow. So why is there mourning? And what are we mourning exactly? Well, ultimately, mourning exists because of sin, right? You've been around church for any amount of time. You probably have heard that three-letter word, sin. Mourning exists because of sin. So we go all the way back to the beginning, to Genesis chapter 2 and 3, or the whole creation account, rather, 1 through 3. And we see sin enter in to a beautiful, perfect creation, to a good creation. But because of the fall, because of sin, when Adam and Eve first sinned, we experience the consequences of sin. And that is death. 
and deep pain and sorrow over the fact that all of life is marred and eventually comes to an inglorious end. So we mourn over sin's effects on this world and in our lives. It's an uncomfortable place to be. Because oftentimes we don't want to look at the dirty and the ugly and deal with the reality of pain. There are multiple occasions for mourning that elicit mourning. You probably need no deep study on this because all of us in this room, I would imagine, have experienced a great and deep sense of loss where we have been deeply sorrowful, weeping, mourning, grieving. Some, it's disaster, personal disaster, national disaster, international disaster, calamity, something that completely is out of our hands and we grieve over it, we mourn over it. Others of us perhaps hitting closer to home is disappointment or failure, whether it's when we look in the mirror and we see ourselves and we think disappointment and failure or perhaps even when you look at someone else or a relationship that has disappointed you or failed you. We grieve and mourn over those things. But the one that I want us to hit on today, and I know this isn't the only thing that Jesus is referring to in the Beatitudes, but it's important for us to deal with is when we grieve and mourn over death. You may be familiar with the idiom, nothing is certain except death and taxes, yet how often do we ever confront that certainty, that sting of death, unless it happens close to home, we rarely ever delve into the subject. Because it's an uncomfortable thought, right? It can lead you into great sorrow, maybe even depression. It can create a sense of anxiety, perhaps even existential dread. You start wondering, for what purpose am I living? Because everything around me is deeply depressing. So we fear talking about death. We find it too gruesome. We find it too much to handle. We, we want to look away. We don't want to even give it any attention. So we run away from it. Perhaps even, and this is, I think, sometimes the genius of creatives like those at Disney and Lin-Manuel Miranda, who wrote the song, We Don't Talk About Bruno. <laughs> we just don't do it. Is too close to home and has deep, deep impact. By the way, if you haven't yet heard that song, it is a masterclass on something that's catchy, but also incredibly complex at the same time. Why don't we talk about death? Because we're afraid of it. Because when we are come face to face with death, it makes time stop for us. But that sense of time just keeps on going for everyone else around us. And we cannot bear the thought that alone we have to deal with time stopping. And this should impact us greatly. It should impact us deeply. Why? Because a person bearing the very image of God has died. This was not God's intention when he created when he created Adam and Eve, what did he say? He looked at the world when he created, he said, it is good after every day, except for when he created Adam and Eve. And what did he say? It was very good because he put his image in them. So when an image bearer dies, we ought to grieve. We ought to be brokenhearted. When an image bearer of God that we call friend, father, 
mother, brother, sister, son, daughter, grandfather, grandmother, uncle, aunt, nephew, niece. We grieve and rightly so. Don't run away from it. It is our reality. We don't forget it. We don't ignore it. No. Paul Tripp, pastor and theologian, writes in the book, Lost in the Middle, death is unnatural and we know it. People are not supposed to die. Like a knife rammed into the heart of creation, sin brought death into the world and all the aging, the sickness, and the decay that comes with it. It's not natural. So if you've been appalled at death, that is a right response. Therefore, church community, beloved people of God, we must have a biblical response when we come face to face with grief and mourning. This is called biblical lament. We can cry out to God like David did, like the psalmist says, how long, O Lord? We, like David, can say, I have filled my pillow with my tears. It is okay to say that. It is okay to cry that out. God can handle it. We lament, and rightly so. The Bible addresses mourning repeatedly, and we don't have time to go over every instance of it, but just a handful. Death, like I said, is a result of sin. Genesis 3.19, by the sweat of your face, you shall eat bread till you return to the ground, for out of it you were taken, for you are dust, and to dust you shall return. Ephesians 2.1, and you were dead in trespasses and sins. The result of sin is death. And this death, it stings, it hurts. 1 Corinthians 15, 56, the sting of death is sin. But in that very same passage, we know that the death of death will come. And this is our good news. Just like we see in Ephesians chapter 2, when it says, but God, who being rich in mercy, loved us and saves us, we see a great death of death for he must reign until he has put all his enemies under his feet. The last enemy to be destroyed is death. For God has put all things in subjection under his feet. What an ingenious nod that Paul does here back to Genesis chapter 3 when he says that the serpent will strike your heel, but you will crush his head. Jesus will subject death to a crushing blow. Jesus alone does this. He also wipes away our tears. You may be familiar with the passage that we see in Revelation, but also it was prophesied of Jesus himself in Isaiah chapter 25. He will swallow up death forever, and the Lord God will wipe away tears from all faces. And the reproach of his people, he will take it away from all the earth, for the Lord has spoken, just as Isaiah says elsewhere in his prophecy. When the Lord speaks, it accomplishes his will. So when he says he will wipe away every tear, that is what's going to happen. And we cling to that hope. I cling to that hope every time I mourn and I grieve and become overwhelmed with sorrow. Jesus himself mourned, did he not, over Lazarus. If you have your Bibles, you can look at John 11. We'll pick it up in verse 32. Now, when Mary came to where Jesus was and saw him, she fell at Jesus' feet, saying to him, Lord, if you had been here, 
My brother would not have died. Verse 33, when Jesus saw her weeping and the Jews who had come with her also weeping, he was deeply moved in his spirit and greatly troubled. That word deeply moved is indignant. He was angry at death. He was angry at the consequences of sin in this world. He snorted at death. He says, no. This is why I'm here to put an end to this. But before he does, what does he do? He asks, where have you laid him? Where is his tomb? And they said, Lord, come see. And Jesus wept. Our Lord, our God who is present at creation, he enters into our mess and he weeps along with us. And what does he do? Down in verse 41, he prays to the Father. Father, I thank you that you have heard me. I knew that you always hear me, but I said this on account of the people standing around that they may believe that you sent me. And then he says, Lazarus, come out. We also see this in the garden in Gethsemane when Jesus experiences great sorrow and turmoil, inner turmoil, when he prays in the garden before he goes to the cross. Verse 38, he says to his disciples, my soul is sorrowful even to death. Remain here, watch, pray with me. And going a little farther, he fell on his face and he prayed, my father, if it is possible, let this cup pass. Nevertheless, not as I will, but as you will. He goes back to the disciples and he sees them asleep. Could you not watch with me one hour? Verse 42, again, the second time he went away and he prayed, my father, if this cannot pass until I drink it, then your will be done. Two instances we see Jesus in great inner turmoil and sorrow. And what does he do? He runs straight to the Father. He points directly to the Father. If Jesus himself, God himself does this, why do we not do this? And yet, where do we find and where do we seek comfort? And that's our second point. I believe too many times we settle for an impaired perspective on comfort, too low of a view of comfort. The formula here in the Beatitudes is this. If blessing and flourishing is X, then God will bless you with Y. So if, you, if blessing looks like mourning, what will, what will come? Comfort will come. What is this comfort? And what does Jesus mean here by this comfort? Well, that word comfort is the same root word that we see throughout the New Testament for the Holy Spirit, paraclete, the helper, to call near, to come to one side. In John, it talks about the Holy Spirit as our advocate, our comforter, our counselor. The biblical use of the word comfort, it implies presence. So discomfort, we can ascertain, is absence. Notice that Jesus doesn't say, blessed are those who mourn for thee shall be made happy, which is oftentimes how we understand comfort. Or everything around me is, is suitable. It's nice. Jesus does not say, blessed are those who mourn for they shall be made nice. He says they will be comforted by his presence. We sang this earlier in great is thy faithfulness, right? Thine own dear presence to cheer and to guide. And I love this. Strength for today. 
and bright hope for tomorrow because that's the only thing that will get me through is your very presence. So based on this beatitude, the question of are you comfortable, it doesn't mean do you have a nice cold drink in a nice comfy chair in a temperature-controlled room, neither hot nor cold, but just right. No, that is not what comfort means. It doesn't mean that you're relaxed and free of worry. It means that you are with someone who brings you comfort, and that person is Jesus. How desperate a place would it be if we were to go through our morning alone? And that's what Jesus is getting at, to be with him. But let's be real. Inevitably, all of us in this room has continues to go through or is presently experienced or will some point experience great sorrow and grief and mourning. But do we run to Jesus? Maybe for a short season. But I would venture to guess, because I've done this myself, I'll run to a number of any other things. My first thought is to forget it or to numb myself of the pain. It's just, it just hurts too much. I don't want to think about it. So I, I fill up my time with activity. And if I'm really weak, I will fill it with some kind of substance that will make me forget. I might cope by running away and ignore the pain altogether. You isolate. You might even kind of wear this badge of honor and say, the grief that I'm fearing is too, too much for any other person to help me through. And I don't want to put this on anyone else. So I'll do it and I'll deal with it by myself. Do you cope that way? And I think a lot of us, too, we'll also point the finger at God and say, it's your fault. We might point to a family member and say, it's your fault. Or again, we'll look in the mirror and say, it's your fault. How do you cope? And how do you seek out comfort? Because I tell you, if you go to those other methods, It'll only drive you further into depression, anxiety, anger, hopelessness, and eventually your own death. Don't do it. Whether you are a believer and a follower of Christ or not, do not kill yourself by going through your morning by yourself. Run to Jesus. Run to him. Alan Noble, in his new book, You Are Not Your Own, he writes this. Life is hard and death, it is terrifying. The only people who don't recognize the need for comfort as we go through life and face death are those who have so effectively numbed themselves that they no longer recognize their numbness as a form of comfort. This is is what you call settling. I'm resolved to just experience sadness and depression and anxiety all the time. So, uh, no. Believer, run. Run to Jesus. What I'm saying is this. If you are not finding comfort in the presence of the comforter, he will own, we will only find a counterfeit form of comfort. That counterfeit form of comfort is temporary and it is fleeting and it will not heal you. It may satisfy you for a short, short time, but it will never truly satisfy your heart's desires. If we are a people who are to be countercultural, not falling for the trappings of an unbelieving world, we would not be utterly dismayed. We'll be sad, yes, 
We will grieve, yes. We will mourn, yes. But will we be dismayed? No. Here's a fantastic resource. Many of you have already uh, talked to me about this, and you probably incorporate this into your own daily devotion. But in case you haven't, there are two volumes of a series called Every Moment Holy. It's like personal liturgy for every day or for the circumstances in your life. And their second volume, I think, is new to come out. It deals explicitly with grief and mourning and sorrow. And if you are in a particular season of grief, mourning, and sorrow, I highly, highly recommend that book, Every Moment Holy, Volume 2. The author, in the foreword, or the, the general editor, in the foreword, writes this, death it need not be cause for ultimate dismay. Death is not and will never be the end. Christ has already seen to that. There is joy that awaits. There is a hope that lights this darkness. There is a journey that leads us inevitably to the great declaration, Christus victor, Christ victorious. Christ has conquered death. All praise be his, all glory his own. When I mourn and when I'm sorrowful, this is my hope. And I pray it be your hope as well. And so what we see in this beatitude is an invitation, an invitation to Christ's renewal. And that's our third point. Ultimate renewal is eternal life in Christ. This is the gospel. We can only find true comfort that is presence, witness with God through Christ. Our sin would separate us from Christ and the effects of sin we already talked about. It separates us. It destroys us. The only remedy for sin is Christ and his righteousness. Only he can save us from the misery of sin. And so we find comfort in the midst of our grieving. I hope that's what you want. Don't linger longer in your grief alone. Grieve together, mourn together in community. That's what the church is for. Hopefully, your church, your brothers, your sisters, your family here, they point you to Jesus. Because in Christ, we find someone who understands. Hebrews 4, 14 through 16. Since then, we have a great high priest who has passed through the heavens. Jesus, the Son of God, let us hold fast to our confession. For we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weakness, but one who in every respect has been tempted as we are, yet was without sin. Let us then with confidence draw near to the throne of grace that we may receive mercy and find grace and help in time of need. In Christ, we find someone who underwent the punishment that was due to us as sinners. Isaiah 53, Jesus was despised and rejected by man, a man of sorrows, acquainted with grief, and as one from whom men hide their faces as he was despised, and we esteemed him not. Surely he has borne our griefs and carried our sorrows, yet we esteemed him stricken, smitten by God, and afflicted. But he was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. Upon him was a chastisement that brought us peace, and with his wounds we are healed. Here we see in this prophet, in this prophecy rather, gospel hope. Because we cannot and we would not be able to bear the weight of sin. But Jesus did and does. And so we believe. And in Christ, we find one who will make all things new. Revelation 21, 4 through 5. 
He will wipe away every tear from their eyes, and death shall be no more. Neither shall there be mourning, nor crying, nor pain anymore, for the former things have passed. And he who was seated on the throne said, Behold, I am making all things new. Do you desire this? I do. Do you long for this? Do you groan for this? I hope you would. Because Christ did these things, and because he is this to us, we also, therefore, can be agents of comfort. We can provide this presence to our brothers and sisters who may be grieving. And I will tell you, church, we've been a church that's been grieving for some time. We prayed about it earlier in our time of pastoral prayer. How might God be calling you to grieve alongside someone else as they grieve the loss of a spouse, loss of a child, loss of a parent? How do we do this? Well, there's a command already for us to weep with those who weep and bear one another's burdens. Romans 12, 15 says, rejoice with those who rejoice. Weep with those who weep. Galatians 6, 2, bear one another's burdens and so fulfill the law of Christ. We're commanded to go and do this and to be this sort of presence to the people around us. And how do we do this? Because undoubtedly you have been exactly where I have been when someone sitting across from you starts crying. You start thinking, I have no idea what to say. I have no idea what to do. I have no idea what I could possibly do. And I'm overwhelmed with my own grief. I want to help, but I don't know. This is what Jeff was talking about a couple of weeks ago at Vision Sunday. About being filled with the Spirit. Because if you're filled with the Spirit, what will happen? You'll say things you normally wouldn't say. You'll do things you normally wouldn't do. You'll go places where you normally wouldn't go. And you will risk things that you normally would not risk. And what is riskier than sitting across from someone or a family whose life has been shattered and time has stopped? Let's risk it all for them because of the gospel. Because of the Spirit filling you, would you be present? Just show up. Be there. Be there. As someone who has recently experienced loss in my own life, just be there. Don't sit there and say, well, I'll call them later. Don't say, well, I'll offer this later. Do it now. Nancy Guthrie. Many of you already know who she is, but if you do not, she wrote a little book called What Grieving People Wish You Knew. What an incredible, incredible resource this is as you walk along people who are grieving and who are mourning. That author again, Nancy Guthrie, title of the book is What Grieving People Wish You Knew. Do a Google search on her and you'll be floored by the way that God has used this sister in Christ to mourn alongside people. We are countercultural followers of Christ. What we do makes zero sense in the eyes of an unbelieving world who would not agree with 90% of what I shared. But we hold and cling on to this truth that we only have one hope, one comfort in life and death. Just as we read earlier, the Apostles' Creed or recited the Apostles' Creed together, there are other um, 
documents and forms that the church has subscribed to over the centuries. And one of, such, one of those such things is the Heidelberg Catechism. And what I want us to do today as we draw our message to a close is to responsively read these two things as we would were it a pro- proclamation of faith time in our service. So I'll read the question. We'll read together the answer. Question one. Christian, what is your only comfort in life and death together? That I am not my own, but belong body and soul in life and in death to my faithful Savior, Jesus Christ. He has fully paid for all my sins with his precious blood and has set me free from the tyranny of the devil. He also watches over me in such a way that not a hair can fall from my head without the will of my Father in heaven. In fact, all things must work together for my salvation. Because I belong to him, Christ, by his Holy Spirit, assures me of eternal life and makes me wholeheartedly willing and ready from now on to live for him. Question two, what must you know to live and die in the joy of this comfort? Three things. First, how great my sin and misery are. Second, how I am set free from all my sins and misery. And third, how I am to thank God for such deliverance. Brother, sister, father, mother, our only comfort in life and death is that we belong to Jesus. And so when we come face to face with deep sorrow, whether our own or we share it and weep with someone who is weeping because of sin, because of death, with our one hand, we shake our fist at that thing and we say, I hate you. This is not the way it's meant to be. Like Jesus, we at the tomb of Lazarus, we are indignant at death and we shake our fist at it and say, no, this is not the way it's supposed to be. But with our other hand, we cling, hold onto Jesus And we say, Jesus, there's only one person that can guide me through this grief, this mourning, this loss. It is you, because you are my peace. You are comforter. You are with me, Emmanuel. And so I cling to you. And dare I say, more than you shake your fist at death, would you just cling that much harder to Jesus, your Lord? Let's pray. Father, we run to you whether we are experiencing it now or not, we will be overcome with grief and mourning. And time will stop. And we will run the full gamut of emotion to the point where there will be no more tears to shed. But you, God, you promise that you are going to be with us, that you will comfort those who mourn. And you say that this is flourishing And as hard as it may be to believe this, God, we believe that flourishing truly does look like being with you, even if that means for a time we mourn because we have a great hope. And even this table that we're about to eat from, it is a sign of this hope. God, would your presence be real here now and strengthen us not only for today, but for our whole lives. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. 
You've been listening to the Perimeter Church Sermon Podcast. Perimeter Church is located at the corner of Highway 141 and Old Alabama Road in Johns Creek, Georgia. Please visit our website at www.perimeter.org for more information, to give us your feedback, and to find other sermons from our teaching team. Thanks for making this podcast a part of your day.